It's lights out and away we go. Hello everybody. Welcome to Unqualified. Unqualified. My name is Celeste. My name's Chris. And uh we're here. We're doing it. Um I just for we're just going to be completely honest. What day of the week? It's Tuesday. 2 weeks after the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh hi. Just me editing this. I hate that I said Grand Prix. Uh, Grand Prix, maybe? I don't know. We don't... I'm sorry. I'm from California. A couple days after the Indy 500. Um, like all things in 2020, nothing can be accounted for. There's no... We had a plan, and then things happened, and so... Basically, the Spanish Grand Prix was... Not too exciting. <laughs> Forgettable, too. And the Indy 500 was more exciting... So we're just going to squish them together and have a good time because we're unqualified. It doesn't matter. We're not following any rules. Um, let's talk about Spain, shall we? Anything you want to preface? Uh, I just feel like the track there, it's a good track for testing, but not a good track for racing. Mm -hmm. Too hard to overtake. Yeah, we saw a lot of that. I don't know. Personally, okay, you know my rule. Here's my philosophy. If a, the, Two things make a race exciting. Three things. Three things make a race exciting. Overtaking, if there's lots of overtaking, if there is a safety car, and if it rains, or if there's any weather changes. Uh, Spain had nothing. I have, I have a little poem for you, okay? Really? Yeah. Um, the rain in Spain, it never came... And so, I'm in pain. Thank you. Okay. I do go to school in Portland, so. Yeah. Um, there was some tired. Hey, you know what else we could say? What? Lewis might be a little bit vain. Oh! Oh, well. Um, there was some tire drama, as this whole season seems to uh, entail. Um, I would say... Did they adjust the tire pressure? Yeah, so by adding tire pressure, it makes the tires more durable because they don't flex as much under all the loads. But they also lose traction and lose traction over their, their lifetime quicker too. Well, let me ask you a question that I just thought of, just off of the top of my brain. That's what being a college student does. You just have Expand to your horizons. Ugh. Um, do you think that because there was all that drama with the tires in the previous races, Lewis winning with his little big blister, that's a little bit of an oxymoron, yeah. <laughs> Lewis winning, winning with a blister and all of that, do you think that that, um, maybe paranoia, maybe trauma, if you will call it that, affected the way that the drivers treated their tires? Mm, maybe somewhat because they were looking at reducing tire degradation to try and get their strategy. Some wanted to go to a two-stop. Mm -hmm. There's always that one-stop, two-stop, three-stop. Yeah. So Well, um, the reason why I ask is because we were talking about, well, let's tie this all together. We were talking about a couple weeks ago, Max is great at advocating for himself. Okay, but what is advocating and what is complaining to your team about something that you don't find ideal? 
because obviously what we're talking about is I'm going to try to find an audio clip. Max was complaining on the radio a lot this race about um, his tires weren't feeling well and he was complaining to his engineer a lot. He was being kind of rude and maybe I'm sensitive, but maybe you should be nice to your engineer. We aren't all named Lewis Hamilton. So what? Yes, well, but the difference being is even if he was complaining, he was still pushing. Yeah, and that's true. He still finished second and split the Mercedes. Which is always a win so, in our book. Yes, and you know, results are what counts. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, how much different is that than Kimi telling his engineer what or yes 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 i know i know that's a good point i think that maybe it's just because i was raised in a way thanks to you where you're like nice to people who are doing things for you and so maybe i just expect because max is closer to my age than your age i was just expecting to be a little bit more respectful but you know what high tension who am i i've never been in an Formula One car I've never driven past. 82 miles per hour. Thank you very much. And so, um, who am I to tell about the tension? Who am I? Um, speaking of tension, um, let's talk about Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton has been in the headlines recently. What headlines, you may ask? Let me tell you. Formula1.com. You know why? Because that's the only publication I read. And when I tell I, you... I, I'm determined to widen your horizons on that, college student. You and six other college professors. So maybe yes. we'll take baby steps, baby steps, okay? I must tell... Years ago, I worked in a shop that worked on sports cars and stuff. And my boss, an ex-racer himself, had a bunch of Auto Week magazines that he kept upstairs in the loft and i would go up there sometimes on my break and look at old auto week magazines auto week is a great source of up-to-date information now of course you don't have to buy the magazine you just go on okay let's make a little deal something's got to be in it for me but i will do this for you it, next week i will read a whole auto week article for our next race and i will summarize it what are you gonna give me chocolate oh okay I'll, I'll work for that. Okay. That's coming Moving soon. Moving right along. Do we really spend much time on Lewis? Oh, yes, we do have to spend much time on Lewis. Where I was going with this before we went on a little spinoff and we made a little promise is there was a headline by F1.com of Lewis saying, and I quote, I'd trade my seventh world title for greater diversity in Formula One. Um, okay, Lewis. Here we are. Life Lessons with Lewis. Life Lessons by Lewis. If you want something done, do it yourself. We all know how much money you have, okay? So really, seriously, why don't you create a program? Why don't you work with the engineers to create a program? It kind of reminds me of when politicians are like, we need somebody to work on this. Dude, you're the politician. That's literally your job. Hello. Anyways, or billionaires, when billionaires are like, we need to allocate some money to go to climate change. Do it. 
Jeff Bezos. Anyways, that's your life lesson. Speaking of money, we're gonna go jump right into our next segment. Time for Tech Talk with Chris. Okay. Here's my question of the week. Formula One is all about money. And we're gonna talk about penalties later. Um, but sometimes when a team is given a penalty, they're given a big fine. It can be a huge fine. Where does the money go and who benefits from the money? Well, the money goes back to the FIA, goes into their bank account so they can continue to pay out money. Teams get money for in the constructors championship. Uh -huh. They have to keep that circle going. Like a cycle. It is. Well, so then why doesn't that money go towards creating more programs for diversity and inclusion? I'm talking like, like a scholarship. Formula One, you can always talk to me, a knowledgeable college student. Make a scholarship for kids who are in um, communities that don't have a lot of money. Kids that, you know, go-karting. Lewis can um, be in charge of it, you know? He's obviously an expert in this. So you're thinking of a scholarship towards racing career. Yeah. Well, yeah, a scholarship could also be towards engineering with a focus on motorsports. Or PR. In fact, Formula One, if you're watching this, my university is so expensive, and so if you just want to sprinkle a little bit of money in my bank account to pay for the rest of my degree, it'd be gladly appreciated. I'll pay you back when I'm working for you. And then you'll be paying, it'll be a cycle. So, yeah, you love cycles. You gotta keep that money. Cash flow is what it's all about. Yeah, it's true. Speaking of cash flow. Oh, I just was thinking it was interesting that right around this time in September, we're almost in September, in 2007. How old was I? Five. <laughs> the largest fine ever given by the FIA to our friends at McLaren. No way. And Mr. Ron Dennis, who used to be in charge. There was a little behind the scenes there because Ron Dennis and Max Mosley, who was running the FIA, probably weren't the best of friends. Oh. So, so when he had the opportunity to nail him, he made it big. Now, so $100 million dollars. Sounds like a lot of money. $100 million. But I do have this quote that Ron Dennis admitted to. We have a turnover of $450 million to $500 million a year, and we are debt-free. This is a very strong company. McLaren wishes they had that money yeah, now. Yeah, things are not probably looking so hot right now. Well, and if you think about it, 2007, 2008, the economy of the world was affected. So Thanks to us. Sorry 2007, <laughs> yes, was probably sort of the, one of the peaks of cash flow. Interestingly enough, the reason that they were fined was not so much that they started something. They were just involved. And it started from our friends in Italy, Ferrari. Is this a mafia story? No, oh, you shouldn't connect the mafia with Sorry. With illegal activity. <laughs> Call necessarily. Me out. I mean, <laughs> imagine that. But um, there was a mechanic who was trying to rise through the Ferrari organization. Uh -huh. And there was another guy that worked with him. And the two of them were not really happy with Ferrari. And Ferrari doesn't like it if you publicly say, I'm not happy with Ferrari. Wait, it's but that's what's like happening saying, now. Kind of like saying, I'm not happy with the Vatican. 
Oh. Ferrari in Italy, like they're right there with the Vatican. So, what happened? What happened? On the These two guys copied, and the number that I saw was 780 pages. Oh, like hand copied it? No, no. Oh. They, they had copy machines that wasn't in ancient history. <laughs> but they didn't have Apple iPhones. So they copied, I think it was 270 pages. And between the two of them, kind of talked about, well, we're going to be out of here anyway, so we're going to take this information with us. It uses a kind of leverage to go to your next job, right? Oh, you have inside knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know if they admitted in their job interview that they had this inside knowledge, but they figured it would sooner or later they were going to use it. Mm. So this one guy, we think his name was pronounced Coughlin, had worked at Ferrari with the other guy, Stepney. Coughlin ended up working for McLaren. Mm. His first mistake was he had his wife go in to a copy shop in the old days, 2000, early 2000s. They still had buildings where you would go in and they'd have all these copy machines and either you would pay a certain amount per copy to make a copy, or you would say, here's 700 and something pages. Can you make a copy of it? Or in this case, they asked him, can you scan these and put them on CDs for us? The person behind the desk, I don't know who this person was, male or female, one place I read it was a female, one place I read it was a male, was an F1 Ferrari fan. <gasps> Picked up the phone the next morning and said, um, I had this inter interaction with a Mrs. Coughlin and you might be interested in what she had me copy. You know what they say, or's a Ferrari. Yes. So only in... Europe would this happen? I mean, really, in America, I don't know how many F1 fans work at coffee shops or coffee shops for that matter. But anyway, so to make the longest story short, this drama got revealed. The FIA was involved with McLaren. McLaren was saying, even if they had this stuff, we never used it. Like we didn't do anything wrong just because they had this stuff. We didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I totally see that. So, but in any case, they were found guilty, went through a trial. It wasn't just like they shook his finger at him and said, you're bad. No, they were found <laughs> guilty. Um, the guys were fired, of course. And they did kind of work it out where they lost all their constructor, constructor points for the year. Mm-hmm. So they took the money that they lost by having those constructor points. Those were cut off the hundred million. So it gave them a little discount there. Yeah. They allowed Alonso to continue to get his points. And now I'm forgetting the other driver. These guys were all in possible contention for the championship. They had four races left at this point. Back it when was September. Was, back when racing yeah, was not right? Mercedes every year. So no, it was no shade, but oh yeah. So it was Alonso and Lewis and Raikkonen. They were all possibly mathematically they could have won. Right. So they allowed Alonso and Hamilton to keep, to their, keep points. their points. They told McLaren, "You none of you can go on the podium if you win the top three for the rest of the year." Aww. 
like constructor guy that usually they send oh, up but an they, engineer. the driver could the go. Driver could oh, go yeah, I was like, but, that's not fair. But nobody from the McLaren organization could go. They also cut the driver's slack because the drivers cooperated and shared some emails and texts that talked about how, in other words, they used evidence from the drivers directly. So for their good behavior, they didn't punish them. Oh, right on. But let's face it, it wasn't just about that. They knew that the fans would have been upset if you punished some of the leading drivers for something that they really didn't have control yeah. over. So it was a big deal. And I had kind of forgotten the details until I kind of went back and went, oh yeah, there was a big fine and back then. Repeat that number again. $100 million. Oh my God, that could Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, but really this whole sport is run with obscene amounts of cash. That's true. So, um, I'm just saying a small, a small sliver of that could go to my education. If anybody's watching, Bernie. Um, okay. So with the four races left, one of my favorite drivers of all time, Kimi, Kimi. won Belgium in September. Uh-huh. Lewis won Japan in September. <laughs> Kimi won China in October. Uh-huh. And then the final race of the season, the points were very close. If Hamilton had won, he would have walked away with the championship. There was no mathematical way. Right. But he had to finish fifth or better, and Kimi had to be behind him pretty much. Uh-huh. And that did not happen. In fact, pretty much the opposite happened. <gasps> this was a day that Lewis had a very, very bad day. <laughs> Lewis... <laughs> Had a bad start. Lewis went off on the first lap, locked up one of his front wheels and slid off the track and had to rejoin, lost several more places. Lewis did not finish well in that race. I think he finished eighth or ninth. And Kimi finished first in that race. And won the championship. Won the championship for who? For Ferrari, Ferrari. Right who on. had been wronged in this case. Poetic so, justice. Yes, and Kimi also got fastest lap. His fastest <laughs> lap gave him an extra point, right? Right. I think, if my memory's not wrong, that he won the championship by one or two points. It was very close. Wow. So, right on. What a good, this was a good year to be a Ferrari fan. Yeah, well. Unlike now. Yeah, it was a good year to be I Kimi. Think, that's a really good example of um, the FIA or race race stewards separating the team from the driver and, mm -hmm. you know, making it very clear that the drivers oftentimes aren't involved with the politics and aren't involved with, I mean, they're very involved, but. But some decisions are made beyond their control. Yeah. You know what also is an example of? What? Karma. Oh, good, good. <laughs> dad joke. Good dad yeah. joke. Yes, yes. Well, that was a good one. Um, I don't know how I'm going to top you with the rest of my segments because you kind of knocked it out of the park. But, well, um, it, it does go to show that in the old days, when, when you were a small child, mm -hmm. there was some pretty good competition going on, excluding the days when Michael Schumacher used to walk away with a lot of the races. Even back then, there were there was drama. Yeah. Now it's a little bit more... Predictable. Well, it was easier to like Lewis back then, I think. Well, it was easier to like Michael, too. The thing is, here's the thing. Lewis Hamilton, if you're watching this, I'd like to address you directly in this moment. Um, 
I'm sorry, you know? It's just that nobody likes- Okay, nobody likes the main character after the main character wins. Freaking, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I hate Harry Potter as a character. Also, that whole series has become problematic in these recent years, but I just don't like Harry Potter, and it's because he's- There's too much main character syndrome, where there's too much, like- too many good things happen, and then there's drama, and it's like, oh, I deserve this because I'm the main character. Lewis, you're done being- we're ending the series, okay? See ya. It's time for the sequel. Who will it be? Perhaps Max? I don't know. Guess what's next weekend? Saw. Uh, who's, your, who's your take? Well, I think Max does really well, but if you think back to about a year ago- Mm-hmm. A sad weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah. But an emotional weekend for Charles because he won. Yep. And he dedicated the race to his yeah. friend. So, he's, um, he's fast there. He is fast there. Charles is a perfect example and, of poetic justice. And I, I drove the sim on that track today. It's weird flex, but okay. And uh, that one's a tough one to get. Yeah. There is some extremely high speed. Eau Rouge, fifth gear. It's amazing. But there are a lot of places where you really need to have control of your car to get it down to the speed to make it through the tight stuff and get out and exit and get a good launch onto the next straight. Yeah. So a lot of skills involved. But. I like, well, okay, I have mixed feelings about Spa. I think because of what happened last year. First of all, just when I got that notification that there was that accident at all, I was painting my parking spot at school and I remember like reading it and it was like shocking for me because I wasn't alive when, you know, even when um, Jules passed away, I wasn't paying attention to racing at that time. And so this was the first like big crash that um, I was just like, it like hit me and I had to sit down because I was like, oh my God, I forget that people really don't make it out of this sport. So um, Spa is like, I think we'll always be affiliated with that. But also I like Spa because it's like, you're not just looking at something flat. There's lots of texture. There's some mm -hmm. spice. So it's more fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to Spa. And I did hear a little rumor that there would be rain. Maybe. Who can predict that? We yes. need rain more than anybody at this point. Um, we're going to kind of cut it short with Formula One. I just, did you know that Renault dropped their protest? I saw that today, yes. I think it's because, listen, I'll talk about this in a little while. You spoke that into the universe. You said, you know, leave the drama in the past. And that's exactly what Renault said, too. Good for you. Well, <laughs> another situation where they may be worried about their karma. Well, that's true. Renault's having a tough yeah. year. Tough couple of years. Um, obviously today is Tuesday and Turkey was added to the calendar. So now there's, I think, 17 races in the calendar. It's exciting, but I will say this, and maybe we'll dive into this in another episode. Um, it feels a little wrong to me that you're going to have a whole campaign dedicated to ending racism, but then you are benefiting off of countries that participate in racism. China is a good example with you know, there's Muslims in concentration camps, but every time you race there, you're bringing money into their country and you're benefiting from that racism. Maybe race, I mean, I understand that every country has things that there's not, I mean, freaking, we live in the United States, okay? I understand that every country is not great. Every country has things that they could be better on, but if you're going to have a whole campaign about racism, 
and then race in countries where there are groups that are seriously, seriously disadvantaged. Um, maybe I would think about that. Again, remember, it's a business. It's all about the dollar signs. Yeah, so is my college education. This is once again a plea. Okay. <laughs> if you want to... um, let's move to Indy. Indy 500 was this weekend. It was a race full of excitement. Um, a long time coming, I think. The Indy 500, as an American, is something you watch every year. And I think that's the one time I feel pride for this country, that and the Olympics, because it's very, like, American. There's lots of good stories. But this year, there was some controversy. We will touch on that. What does the Indy 500 mean to you? Well, when I was much younger and I used to watch racing on TV, I might have mentioned to you before it was called ABC Wide World of Sports. Yeah, I have ABC a was big in the motor racing world, hitting all the main events. Mm -hmm. Monaco was on ABC just like Indy was. Right. Some NASCAR, not all the NASCAR. It wasn't like NASCAR, NASCAR every weekend. Century. Yeah. But so anyway, so Indy 500 was something that some me and some of my friends were like, you got to watch the Indy 500. Yeah. And back then it was even scarier. The, the safety, the barriers, it yeah. was it was not a good thing. And there were crashes involving balls of fire and yeah. cars upside down. So as a kid, you know, there's a little bit of like, oh, my God, did you see that? Mm hmm. But also, there was a lot of innovation. Mm -hmm. Indianapolis, the rules have tightened 100% since then. Right. But, you know, when Indy started with front wheel, I mean, well, some front wheel drive cars even, but front engine cars, open cockpits, riding mechanics to pump the oil, like <laughs> to keep the car going, I mean... The beginnings of Indy was the development of motorsport. So just the history of developing cars that can go 500 miles fast to cars that can consistently go within a few seconds of their qualifying lap time for 500 miles. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's the classic American know-how. Yeah, there were foreign cars there. And the first rear-engine car was built by a British... Colin Chapman Lotus, but still, I'm saying there was a lot of American ingenuity and development in Indy. So yeah, so USA. Um, I don't. Anyways, um, I also the Indy 500 is special to me just because I never was one to. I knew what the Indy 500 was. Sometimes I would watch it if it was on TV, but I was never invested until last year and it was right after monaco because they're usually always on the same weekend besides this year of craziness but um i was like upset about something that happened in monaco probably charles charles did crash out of monaco know. last year i, I don't know that's probably what it was related to yeah. and then the indy 500 was on a few hours after and we switched it on um and that was the first indy 500 i had paid attention to and luckily it was a good it, there was controversy, but it was exciting down to the last lap because of Simon Pagano and Alexander Rossi, who we'll talk about in a bit. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just one of those things where I watched it and I was like, hey, I love Formula One. I love open-wheeled racing, and this is something that's literally happening 
you know, in my country, something that's accessible. The first open wheel racing, I went to Laguna Seca, which was still probably the best year, the best day of my life up until this moment. Um, I chose my college, the university I go to was by a racetrack, which is part of the reason I chose it. So, um, yeah, I would say watching IndyCar is what made me realize that I want to work in racing. So it's very special. Obviously, we're an IndyCar family. Something that I thought was cool, I guess usually uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is commentates on the Indy 500. I think that they were talking about that. I could be completely wrong. But he was uh, doing something with NASCAR because there was a NASCAR doubleheader. So he was out of the state. But so they had Danica Patrick instead. We all know I am a big fan of women in motorsport. But I did some research about Danica Patrick. Um, she is so rad. She is so cool. We're going to call this uh, Wikipedia Watch. <laughs> All of my source on this is Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia. I have nothing bad to say. Um, Danica Patrick is... Are you ready for this, first of all? Yeah, I'd love to know more about Danica. Okay. Danica Patrick is the most successful woman in open wheeled racing. And think about how, how long open wheel racing's been around. Pretty cool. So, she's from, uh, I think, Ohio. What happens in Ohio? Go fast, turn left. I suppose. Mid-Ohio is in Ohio. Well, she's no, from... But the Midwest, it's like little dirt tracks, people, backyard, grassroots motorsports, uh -huh. all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of grassroots, she came from a middle class family, which is very much us. She started in karting with her parents' permission. She was really good at it. She dropped out of high school. In order to go to Europe, she raced formula cars, low level. Um, let's talk about some accomplishments, shall we? She is the only woman to win an IndyCar race. IndyCar used to race in Japan, I guess, and she won that race. I couldn't tell the year because I'm unqualified and I didn't write that down. Um, the most laps led by a woman in the Indy in IndyCar in general and in the Indy 500 were by Danica Patrick. She also was in NASCAR. She had the most top 10 finishes, the most laps led, and the first woman to get pole position, NASCAR Cup Series. And she had the highest finish in not only the Indy 500, I think she finished third or fourth, um, but also in... It was fourth. It was. It was fourth. But also um, in the Daytona 500. Um, so yeah, lots of ums in that. Maybe that'll be a fun counter. Uh, Speaking public speaking, it's going to get better. Okay. <laughs> but the reason why I really like Danica, because obviously she's qualified to, to talk about that. But she was also like so calm and collected. And everything she had to say was so insightful, I found. Um... I love watching IndyCar because I think that those commentators really know what they're doing. They're all former racers. Um, so that's good. But they, those men, they tend to get excited, which I really like. But I thought it was a good max, uh, not a max, it was a good um, match. Something that Danica did, and I'm not a fan of this in general, but commentators love making their pick, especially before the Indy 500. And in my opinion, I freaking hate hate it when they do that. I hate it. I think there is such thing as the commentator's curse, especially in Formula One with Daniel Ricciardo. <laughs> but, um, Danica picked Alexander Rossi to win. Whenever you do that, it just doesn't turn out well. 
I think as a viewer, it's so much more exciting when you see, like, the underdog come out. Somebody who's not expected to win. Yeah. Which is what happened this year. I can't complain. Yeah. But, um, we do have to talk about Alexander Rossi. Because we do have some bias. Um, Alexander Rossi is my favorite IndyCar driver. Who's your favorite IndyCar driver? Well, he's alright, but I really respect, um... Marcus Erickson because he came over from F1 and he's kind of slid right in and done well. Variety of courses. He is a well-spoken guy. He's He speaks good English. We talked yeah, to him once. Yeah, and he it's kind of like he just lets everything roll off him too. Like yeah. it doesn't you know, he hit the wall and he's obviously disappointed but it wasn't like he was trying to come up with excuses. He pretty much admitted, like, I lost it. He's a good sport. Yeah. I noticed um, when we, we went to Laguna Seca this last year, and it was the last race of the season, so there were all kinds of emotions attached to that. Marcus did pretty well, but then we just, we, we were, like, walking by, and he was talking to fans, and we stopped, and he was like, hey, do you want an autograph? Like, we didn't even ask. He was like, I'll be right back. And then he went. He signed it twice. He signed mine twice. Once in black and once in gold, I still have it. I love it so much. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just, like, I really love it when drivers make an effort to connect with their fans, and that was really cool. We had a conversation with him, and, yeah. But, alas, my favorite driver is Alexander Rossi, and let me tell you why. Hey, um, me editing again. I realized that during this part, I'm, like, really talking with a lot of authority as if I did a lot of research into Alexander Rossi's life. And while that might have happened, like, a year ago or so, this is, like, not something that I'm, like, qualified to talk about. So, if Alexander Rossi is, like, watching this, um, first of all, hey! <laughs> Second of all, the only way to correct the information in this episode is simply to come on the podcast. So, your move, it's in the balls in your court, um, if it's wrong... You just, that's the only Alexander Rossi is from a small town called Nevada City, California. It's about an hour away from us. We're in the same county. Holla. <laughs> we share a library. <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, to me, Alexander Rossi is like the blueprint of who I want to be. He's this, this kid. He grew up waking up at 4 a.m., 6 a.m. to watch Formula One races. Very much what I do every single week, which is, it's fine. <laughs> I was sad that they weren't racing in the United States because that's the one race that I get to sleep in for, but it's fine. And then he fi actually finished his degree, which was, education's always been important to us, so I like that. And then he went, to, not his degree, he got a diploma from high school. And then he started racing in Europe, he worked through Formula, he worked in Formula One, he raced in Formula One, he did six starts or four starts. Obviously, it wasn't really his thing. I think there was a lot of criticism because America, whatever you want to say. But then he went back to the United States in his rookie year in IndyCar, 2016. He won the Indy 500, the 100th running of the Indy 500. And um, ever since then, that's kind of been his track. He's always kind of done really well there. Um, and so that's why a lot of drivers previous or current pick him to win but Alex is having a no good year 
so far not the best luck he's been having lots of car issues um and then he didn't qualify great for this but he was running pretty well he was running in third for most of the race and then at one point he was chasing back and forth yeah, with scott dixon swapping the lead yeah we can talk about that in a minute and then i don't know so here's what happened with alexander rossi let's let's have a little chat a little digest i was very passionate about this for a couple of days i've calmed down i can speak about it with respect to everybody but like i said it was like a weird race there was well let's talk about the heat alex's communication booth overheated how hot do you think it was in indy this weekend probably in the 90s mid 90s just so you know i did look it up in spain they were complaining about how hot it was it was 82 degrees fahrenheit okay come on grow up it's 82 degrees in this room right now maybe not but whatever um so his, his communication booth overheated and then they didn't have they couldn't talk to him they had to restart it reboot it so he missed his first pit stop which is huge in the indy 500 if you don't know it's like really big you want all those pit stops are calculated you never know what's gonna happen so you want to stick to your strategy until there's a safety car or whatever so he missed that he made up some time when there was a crash and then he was once again running in third he came in for a pit stop there's two lanes when you come out of the um indy 500 track the oval track i guess in the street whatever there's a slow lane and a fast lane similar to the highway he was pulling into the slow lane as you do and takuma sato was coming out of his pit box takuma was not in a lane he was in the middle of two lanes i watched it my very own self and alex hit him there was no damage there was a little wiggle but overall nothing really yeah and i think if you watched it takuma's front wheel hit alex's back wheel right i'll put so it, that's I'll put a little clip in okay well if you think about that if that happens on the road that means the person behind failed to slow for the person in front now if that happened on our street and someone was pulling out of a driveway you might say well they failed to yield to the traffic but my point is is it wasn't like alex took his front, the front of his car and hit Takuma right. squarely. No, it was almost like they just kind of rubbed because they're both trying to so there's occupy a few, there's the a few, space. A few issues that I have yes. with this. Number one, Alex can't, the driver, Alexander Rossi, he's driving his car. He can't see what's going on in the pit lane. That's completely on his engineers. Okay, so that's one thing. Say you want to put all of the blame on his team. That's one thing. But another thing was, Takuma Sato was not in a lane. He was in the middle of two lanes. He could have been over. And so I don't really see how that's completely Alexander's fault. And Pato Award was in that mix somehow. Somehow got out unscathed, which is great. I'm a McLaren fan. But then the result of all of this happening was that Alex, who was running in the front, got dropped to go be in the back. Which then led him to ha freak out, deservingly in my opinion, and he did make a little, a cool dash. He passed like five, four or five cars, which was a good clip. I'll put that in. But then, I don't know if it was panic. Something got loose. He hit the wall and had to retire from the race. 
Yeah, <clears throat> what I saw was that he understeered into the wall. So he was probably up in the gray trying to get around people or trying to go a little bit faster. Yeah. And to me, that's the thing about the Indy 500. If you don't know, once again, if you're a Formula One fan and you've never seen the Indy 500, they have two weeks of practice. I mean, it's, it's a huge deal. That's why Fernando Alonso, who hasn't driven ovals before driving in the Indy 500, that's why drivers like that can, can do well there, which he did okay, because they have two weeks of practice. But then in the race, weird things happen like that, and it doesn't matter how well you know the track. Alexander knows that track probably like the back of his hand, but you can get loose and you can hit the wall, which didn't just happen to Alexander Rossi. It happened several times. With, it happened to Marcus. It happened to Marcus. It happened with Alex Pillow, who qualified excellently. I don't know. I just think IndyCar doesn't have penalties in the way that the FIA does where the team just gets fined or the team just gets yeah but they did have the option they didn't have to put him to the back yeah they could have put him behind Sato yeah that in fact they that could to have me given him a fair. stop and go yep because Renus VK who maybe you guys know him because he is from Europe and he did race in the low level formulas I think he's a rookie he's 19 hey um he hit one of his engineers in the pit lane and he got a stop and go and ultimately it didn't ruin his race. I just personally, I think that that whole penalty was not deserving at all, especially when it's not, why punish the driver when it's not the driver's fault? Yeah. And, and I would say, I mean, I, I am not an authority on NASCAR, but I would say if it was NASCAR, they probably wouldn't have punished him. Because what do they say in NASCAR? Rubbing his racing. I love saying that for no reason. <laughs> or if they had punished him, it would definitely have not have been that severe. Yeah, I don't know. I think that... To me, I usually I usually really commend IndyCar because I love how fair it is and I love how, you know, almost everything is fair in IndyCar. There's similar budgets, similar cars, similar engine, like... Yeah. Motors. Everything is, everything is more fair than Formula One. You don't have Mercedes or the equivalent of Mercedes. There isn't an equivalent of Mercedes because anybody could win an IndyCar race. And this year we've had like four different winners. So I don't know. I usually commend them for being fair, but in this race specifically, it almost felt like they made the FIA look good, which is saying a lot for me. But yeah, speaking of crashes, there was a lot of weird ones and sort of what I talked about. But, um, who was that? Davidson? Um, hi. Me again, editing. Um, I just realized his name is James Davison. There's no Dave, there's no D. You, can you see it? Anyways, I just, I don't, I hate it when people get my name wrong, so I don't want to. Anyways. Who was not an IndyCar driver, driving for a team that's not an IndyCar team. He had some mechanical failure. His wheel caught on fire. Yeah, I think it was his brake failed. Yeah. And because the wheels are magnesium, if you get them hot enough, they're metal, but they burn. That was the first big one that people were like, huh? That was like the first or second lap, almost. It was pretty early, yeah. Obviously, racing for Rick Ware Racing. <laughs> if you don't know Rick Ware Racing, it's because maybe you watch NASCAR and they're always the worst team. No offense, guys. <laughs> but I think... Well, I'll ask your opinion on this. What do you think about teams that um, have 
cars in several different disciplines of racing. Because Rick Ware, just for context, has a car in NASCAR Cup. They have two or three. Um, IndyCar, this was their first race with just Rick Ware. And obviously, in partnership with other people, that's a big thing in IndyCar. IMSA, I think they're getting a car. And then the Asian Le Mans, which is where they've really been successful. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, I have to say, Rick Ware is not always the last people in NASCAR. They're, he doesn't always have no, the bottom. No, it's because in NASCAR but, they crash, so they always well, start better uh, than they okay. qualify, or finish all better right. than they qualify. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I do feel like you should find what you do the best and put your resources that direction. I agree. But on the other hand, if you're a multi-million dollar organization like McLaren, mm-hmm. And you have the technical ability to excel in more than one series. That's something. Yeah. So it's kind of like if you're going to do it, you need to be prepared to yeah. go to that level. I don't know. I just know IndyCar is the Indy 500 in specifically is such a huge thing where it takes a lot just to qualify. So first of all, good for Davidson for even qualifying. That's bigger than Alonzo got last, farther than Alonzo got last year, and he's obviously one of the greats. But it's expensive to race in the Indy 500, and if you're like a team like Rick Ware, where you're not a high budget team, you're not Andretti Autosport, you're not Team Penske, why would you not just throw all of your resources into somewhere where you can get to be that? Because in the Asian Le Mans series, they were doing, I think they won the championship in LMP2. So to me, it just seems like, why would you not throw your resources into that? But I can totally see the other side because McLaren, who partners with Arrow in IndyCar, they've had an amazing rookie season with two young drivers who, I mean, once again, I I don't know. I have bias. I'm a McLaren fan. Yeah. But just in the Indy 500, Pato Award, who's their um, a McLaren driver, he was the rookie of the Indy 500. He finished in sixth. Um, just to clarify, this is not Pato Award's first season in IndyCar because last year he had like, a, he raced some races, which if you're not familiar, you can totally do that in IndyCar. It's like some cars race, some races, some drivers race. Anyways, he didn't have, he wasn't like on for the full season, but this is his first season in IndyCar where he was signed the whole, he raced every race, still is. After... Doing great, he was consistent. I think Oliver Askew would have probably done the same thing, but he unfortunately crashed out. I don't know. Should we talk about the real controversy? Oh, the finish? Yeah. Should I, I'll just give a little context, right? Mm-hmm. In IndyCar, there are, there's an option to have a yellow flag. There's no blue flags, but there's yellow flags, green flags, checkered flags. And red flags so they can actually stop the race and restart and in a lot of cases if it's close to the end they'll do like a three-lap shootout where um indycar does a rolling start by the way so it's not as dangerous as like formula one they probably couldn't do that but they always have the option to do that and so the last lap of this year's indy 500 it was takuma sato and scott dixon and graham ray hall all there in the top three switching it was good racing and to me, it was really exciting. It was an exciting end to an exciting race. And then Spencer Piggott, who 
is really going to, I think he's going to go far. Unfortunately, had a humongous crash. I mean, there was lots of damage, damage not only to his car, I mean, it was ricocheting. I'm not going to put in the video because I find it disrespectful, so if you want to find that, you can. Okay, last time I'll do this. But I just wanted to clarify again, the reason why there's no pictures of crashes, I was talking about earlier how lots of weird things happened and cars got loose and hit the wall and had to retire. I didn't put in any of any pictures of crashes just because I think it's like, first of all, I don't like to look at it because I think that it's a little disturbing. But second of all, um, if I was a driver and I had crashed out, I would never want to see that crash over and over again. So I just, I left them all out. If you want to look it up, you can look it up. It's easy to access. There was a lot of damage. He, there was a yellow flag. He was helped out of the car and then I guess he passed out. He was laying on the tarmac at one point while these cars are weaving through because it was a yellow flag. Everybody thought that it was going to go to a red flag. And unfortunately, well, I think unfortunately, say what you will, it ended under a yellow flag. Takuma Sato just, in my opinion, was given the win. I wouldn't say undeservingly. He definitely raced for it, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, part of it was is that some people felt like Sato wouldn't have had the fuel to finish if they hadn't finished under yellow. He would have had the pit. Well, I think... Or he would have run out of fuel in the last whatever quarter mile and have to coast over the finish line and uh -huh. the one then for me okay in my opinion this is another thing i was really fired up about and um i've had some time to calm down and i've had some time to make a mature statement um for me it was an exciting race and i really enjoyed it until they didn't make the call to go to red because i think that just from a viewership standpoint this rape race specifically was hyped up to be so huge i mean formula one fans were watching it especially mclaren fans because mclaren carlos and lando hyped it up their whole team hyped it up zach brown flew out so they had a bunch of viewers that weren't just indycar fans they had a nascar double header so a lot of nascar so many people were watching this race and they also uh there's a big criticism that nbc puts in way too many commercials which i totally agree with there's so many commercials put on indycar and sometimes you miss the action because there's a commercial and they'll hop back to it but it's just not the same as watching formula one nbc had the chance to have a very exciting race not just for the fans but also the drivers and they had the chance to make more money if they would have put a red flag just to make sure spencer pickett was off of the track at least maybe they didn't fix the damage to the track then you know, I think that they could have had that three-lap shootout. I would have made everything more exciting. They could have put in a, another commercial break. They could have made some money. But, you know, they chose to end it under yellow. It's been criticized. A lot of the drivers have come back and said, you know, it was the right call. Personally, just from a safety point of view, IndyCar is amazing safety for everything. They're, they have an aero screen, if you don't know, and that's saved drivers' lives already. And just all of the crashes in, in the Indy 500 this year were scary and drivers could have died. But once again, I think um, from a viewership point of view, when you see Spencer Piggott laying on the ground and then the ambulance has to come out and they're putting him on a stretcher and he's passed out on the ground, to me, that was like scary. And to see the cars weaving between the ambulance and the tr car, it was like it left kind of a bad taste in my mouth because it felt kind of almost disrespectful. And, you know, Spencer's come out and he's okay. He's cleared to race again. And he, you know, I don't know how, but he escaped with, like, very minimal injuries. 
Um, but, you know, it kind of almost reminded me of Ryan Newman, who was driving in NASCAR and had a huge crash in the Daytona 500. And it was like, it was really scary. I don't know. Big crashes get to me because I forget these people are human beings until something like that happens. It just, from a safety point of view, I would have preferred if they would have red flagged it and then gotten him off the track and then done a three lap shootout. I think overall it would have been better. But I understand the argument because the argument is like, oh, they only do that to fix track damage. Like they only do red flags to fix track damages and it would have taken a long time to fix the damage. But I don't know. Yeah, and I think the other point was is that it's a 500-mile race, and by stopping it and starting it, the cars would have actually traveled more than 500 miles. That's a good point, Tim. So, I don't know. But I agree. I think that they should have restarted it. Yeah. And with all of this being said, here we are. We have my Celeste's unqualified advice of the episode. Celeste's unqualified racing advice. Okay, this one goes out to IndyCar as a whole, as a, I don't think they're a corporation, as an organization. Hey IndyCar, um, if you've got a driver injured, uh, laying on the track, and, and you're like still racing, maybe like stop the race, you know? Just maybe make sure that that guy is, or girl, is okay. Get him off the track, and then start the race again. Because uh, it kind of, you know, just gave me a bad vibe, you know? The vibe was not it. For me so uh please take me up on that next time okay okay um yeah all in all takuma sato he's a great guy he's a great racer he's really humble one time he smiled at me so that was kind of fun <laughs> and um totally deserving good good win for japan who uh i don't know i don't know japan's a good country so. Well, they're also a major entrance supplier. The Honda yeah, program has yeah. really been successful in IndyCar. So. Yeah, totally deserving, too. He's an amazing driver. Scott Dixon is also amazing, and I would have been equally happy if he would have gotten it. So, I don't know. Overall, I think I've come to peace with it, and I think the good outweighs the bad for me on the Indy 500 this year. Any takeaways? Well, I'm just grateful that nobody was seriously injured that whole yeah i mean incredible i mean i'll i'm gonna put a list of all of the pe people that were involved in crashes but like even oliver askey was like i think another one that they got the ambulance out for it's just it's terrifying i, I just am high anxiety anyways but i think i forget that they're not superhumans driving at 275 miles per hour it's just and then something happens and you're like <laughs> no you need to fix that how fast do they go maybe 220 230. Okay, yeah, he was right. The top speed at the Indy 500 is 239 miles per hour. Sup, boy. Ari Leyendijk. Okay, not The Bachelor. His dad. My scale's a little off. Uh, yeah, 82 just, miles per just hour. Just fix that. <laughs> um, you have any highlights that you... Anybody you were happy to see? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's really good for Scott Dixon to be able to have that many laps led. Yeah, Scott you know? Dixon's having an amazing season. I think yeah. he's the championship leader at this point. Um, he's won three races in a row, which is a record for IndyCar, which is just, you know, context for Formula One because that happens so often and nobody even cares. But yeah, he's just a good guy, too. He's a good guy. I like him.
Yeah. What about you want to talk about Colton? Well, Colton stayed out of trouble. Yeah. Think about that. I think you should tell your Colton Herta story. No, I think we should save that for another save time. It. Okay. We do have a good Colton Herta story. It's not as exciting, but Colton. <laughs> Any other highlights? Not really. Just really looking forward to spa. Mm-hmm. I would say my highlight was Pato Award. I think he's a good guy. He's a good racer. He's going to go really far. Mark my words. Today, August 25th, I said that. Someday when Pato, when you're winning some races, championships, you're up there in the points, maybe you win the Indy 500, you can thank me. You know, I'll leave my address in the comments. You can just send me a thank you note. I'll have it framed. We'll put it right here. This sombrero was for Spain, by the way. I forgot to mention that. It's very important to me. Um... Very cool stuff. Yeah. Really very cool. Um, spa's coming up. We're going to talk about spa. A little life update. I did start college and I'm taking like full course load, which is good and bad. I'm learning a lot, but it's kind of scary to be back in school. So that's kind of what we're working with. We're just going to be flexible. This is um, unqualified. So we're just going to live by our own rules. Yeah. See you in spa. All right. Forza Ferrari. <laughs>